0: Good morning, everybody. Um, We are in the middle of our systematic theology class. We've been, I think this is number 26 or something like that. Um, For a couple of weeks, a few weeks, basically the rest of the the year, we're going to uh, do a little bit of a kind of deviation, kind of do some special topics. Uh, I, I had talked about getting into soteriology, which is the study of salvation. Um, I, I had talked about doing that or starting that this week. Um, but in reality, it, it's, it's, that is a big, big, complex subject. There's a, a lot of parts and pieces to it, right? Um, you can boil it down to, you know, God so loved the world that he, you know, gave his one and only son to whoever should believe in him, you know, have eternal life. Um, uh, but, you know, it's also you can study that topic um, in so many different ways and get into so many different aspects of it that it's really complex. And so what I wanted to do is kind of have um, some continuity um, with when we, once we study that topic. So we're not going to actually start that until till January. And so this whole big study that we're doing with the systematic, you know, theology, um, I would imagine we'll wrap it up maybe, May or something like that. So we're, we're, we're going to be here for a little while. Uh, let's see. Um, so today, as you can tell, we're going to talk about evangelism and apologetics. And I was telling Stuart a little bit um, a little bit earlier, this is uh, kind of what we're actually going to talk about today was something that I had another lesson prepared. And then this morning, as I was kind of putting the final touches on, I ended up saying, you know, I, I want to kind of address something um, before we get, really get going. And guess what? That ended up taking over the whole lesson. So um, so we'll actually, next week, we'll talk about what we were going to uh, talk about today. So today we're going to talk about evangelism and apologetics. Um, just some very uh, specific ideas around, around those things. If you don't know what apologetics is, don't worry. Um, we'll talk about um, what that is here in the next few minutes so let's pray and then we'll we'll get started father thank you uh, thank you for this morning thank you for um, these folks coming together and to uh, that that love you and uh, worship you and want to get to know you just a little bit better father thank you for the time uh, that we have together and just help us to glorify you and in this class um, whether we think it or say it or, or do it and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. There we go. So, um, before we get going, we have a special little thing I want to talk about, and I call it Spies Like Us. Okay? Um, not the movie, but it's a, it's a concept. So, somebody tell me what happened in Numbers 13. And I think by the title of this thing, I probably already gave it away. But, Steve. Twelve spies
1: were sent in to scout the promised land.
0: So, twelve spies were sent in to to scout out the 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 promised land. Why were they sent in? It'd
2: been, uh, you know, they they crossed the desert. It'd been some time, and they needed to kind of scout out so they could make a plan of attack.
0: Okay, a plan of attack. And then what happened? What did they find once they once they got there?
2: Giants.
0: giants, right? So, and their reaction to that was that they, they got scared, right? And they said, um, these spies came back, told the people about it, and the people um, are, are, you know, saying, there, there, there's no way that we can defeat these people or these, these giants. And so they didn't actually want to go in. And so what were the consequences of that? Yeah, they had to wander in the desert for 40 years ultimately because they didn't have what? Faith. Faith. Because God had told them, "I'm I'm with you. You you're, you're going to take these guys out. I'm with you." And um and so they I guess they didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. And so they didn't have confidence that he was actually able to fulfill what it was that he he said that he he would. And so they ended up being being punished for that. Yes, sir.
1: Essentially like, they found it exactly as God said they would. Yep. It was yep. a fruitful land. Yep, absolutely. They found this, the, the grape cluster yeah, that yeah. they had to carry between poles yeah. And, yeah. and all of that, but that was not enough.
0: A- absolutely, yep. Yeah. You're going to go in, here's what you're going to see, and then they saw it and they came back and, you know, like Stuart said, they, kind of, they kind of freaked out. So that's a, um, that is a technical theological term, by the way, is freaked out. All right. So, we get into um Joshua. So Joshua takes over for for Moses, you know, God appoints Joshua. And, you know, we have in Joshua 1, chapter 1, it's kind of a um it's the transition. It's 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 God giving Joshua his his commission uh as the the leader of Israel. And then what's the first thing actually this is Joshua 1. Sorry, I got a little bit out of, out of order there. So Joshua 1, verses 3 through 6 says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward, uh, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Okay. And so God promises them that they're going to be victorious. Once again, he he repeats what he, he says to Moses. Okay. So, what was the first thing that Joshua did in the following chapter? He sent out spies. So why in the world would he do that? God told him, you're going, to, um, you're going to be victorious. So did Joshua not have faith? Did he need to take things into his own hands in order to, um, to ensure the victory? So why would he do that? Fear. What's that? Fear? Fear? Okay, so Joshua was afraid. Okay. Anybody else?
2: Well, God didn't tell him precisely how to attack. Like, we get some battles where God gives a very precise battle plan, like Jericho. Jericho. And it's nothing that any general would come up with on their own. Absolutely. But in this case, it'd been 40 years. Yeah. You know, okay. Maybe he just wanted some giant grapes, but it'd been 40 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Once again, we need to develop a strategy. Yeah.
0: Giant, giant graves. Yeah, his army needed carbs, right? So, okay, cool. Also,
1: only sends out two instead of right. twelve. Right,
0: sends out two instead of twelve.
1: Which I think is possibly some sort of a mirror of the two who came back faithful. Okay. So he's, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a, a nod to we're not going to make the same mistake. Right. If we're going to make a mistake, it's going to be a different one.
0: Okay. Okay, good. So he sent out two instead of 12, and it might, it might be a nod to, we don't know for sure, but I, th- I think it makes sense he that...
1: Was one of the two
0: who came back faithful. Yeah, Joshua was one of the two that came back faithful, and the other one being Caleb, right? All right. So, question, would gathering intelligence for the battle to come provide Joshua with a, a reason to boast or anything like that? No, it wouldn't, right? The idea here is that God's assurance did not absolve Joshua of his responsibilities as a military commander and strategist. God said that, and, and we talked about this probably about a month ago, right? God said, "You're going to be victorious. You're going to inherit the land. It's going to happen. That is a done deal." But that does not mean that that Joshua just gets the army and they, you know, they, they walk across and and just you know expect everybody to fall down in front of them. No, Joshua is a military commander. He still had responsibilities as a military commander. And so God's sovereignty works with our responsibility to do what it is, whatever we're supposed to do. It doesn't absolve us of that. We're going to get to some other um, examples of this a, a little bit later. But how can we apply this principle to our own lives, does, well, I'll just, I'll open the uh, question. Yes, ma'am. Well, I was going to say the same thing when you think
2: God wants you to do X occupation. You okay. still need to get trained for it. Okay. Education. If God wants you to marry, you know, you think God's leading you to marry a certain person. You got to ask them out. Like, right, you know, right. They're not just going to suddenly be your
0: spouse. Right right so if if uh God makes us promises um then we still or you know we still go out and actually do what it is that we're supposed to do right and so like for for example evangelizing you know um and i'm i I'm, I'm probably going to repeat myself because I think i'm going to ask this question on a slide here in a few minutes, but can God actually just inject all of the knowledge and the belief and everything that's required in order to have faith in Christ, including the faith itself, can he just out of nowhere inject it into a person that's never even heard the name of Christ before? Yeah, of course he can, right? The question is, does he do that? not it's not the normative way of getting stuff done is it it's not normally the way that god works and outside of biblical times i'm unaware of any you know uh any examples i'm not saying they're not there i'm just saying i'm unaware i'm unaware of them um so it's so it's our responsibility to go out and to evangelize right even though god said that his people are, you know, his elect are going to come to him. They're going to have faith in Christ. They're going to spend eternity with him. But it is our responsibility to go out and to, I don't want to say make that happen, but it's our responsibility to be be the instruments in his hands that brings that about. And if we don't do what it is that we're supposed to do, then shame on us. As a matter of fact, a little bit more than shame, shame on us—it's that—that's called sin, right? It's called being disobedient, right? Now, I'm not saying we evangelize twenty-four-seven, and um, and we'll get to that here here in a little bit. But the idea is, we're supposed to do um, we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do, you know, even though God is sovereign. All right. So do our labors um, give us reason to boast? No, no, they don't, okay? So for example, okay, evangelism. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I met with a guy one time at a, a church, not real far from here, uh, who had on his wall, he had a tree and he had himself, down at the root and there were branches and he had names associated with the branches and then more branches and the names associated with And it was all the people that he had caused to, to come to Christ. And it was a shameful thing to see, right? And it was sinful from, from beginning to end. When we evangelize, you know, we, you may be somebody that goes your entire life sharing the gospel, and not a single person that you're aware of comes to Christ. At the same time, you might be a person um, who, every time you open your mouth, there's somebody saying that, that, that they believe in Christ. And honestly, it has really not a whole lot to do or nothing to do with, with you or me. It has everything to do with how the Spirit uses us in his hands, how, how we are, again, instruments in, in his hands. Okay. And so when somebody, if we're sharing the gospel with somebody and they come, they come to Christ, so to speak, then we have nothing to boast about. Okay. Well, I guess we can boast in Christ, right? Preaching, you know, um, Ken has, he would never do this. I'm not saying he would. Uh, he would never do this, but he he has no right. To walk off of, you know, walk away from that podium and say, "Man, I hit it out of the park today," you know. And he'd be the first one to tell you if he, if you ever even thought that he thought something like that, that he, need, he needs to, to get out of there, right? Teaching, same deal with me standing up here. Anything that that I say and you take as being profitable has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the Spirit. Now the bad stuff, yeah, that's on me. Counseling, you know, helping somebody to um, get off of drugs or to not hurt themselves or reconciling a marriage or something like that. Those counselors are the tools that, that God uses in order to, uh, to make that happen. Singing. We have folks in, in here that, that are up here on the stage. And, you know, when we, when we sing, play music, that sort of thing uh, that form of worship, one of many forms of worship. Um, you know, there, there is no boasting and I, I have the best voice or I'm the most talented guitar player or, or whatever. Um, you know, I really got the crowd going today. I, I've heard comments in in other churches, of course, um, about the, um, the so-and-so and so-and-so show, you know, and, it, when you begin to perform, that, that's a form of, of, of boasting. And that's one of the things I love about our, our music team here is, um, I, I just don't see that, uh, giving, whether it's, it's, um, you know, writing a big check or writing a small check or, you know, matching funds or whatever the case may be. When we're giving to the church, we're we're not even giving what's ours. It belongs. It all belongs to God anyway, and so all we're doing is um, kind of reflecting that that back to God. And so, I guess what I'm getting at is there's no room in any of these things for for, for boasting, okay? And then praying. I remember <laughs> when I first came to Christ, or you know, at least I think I was came to Christ at that point. Uh, there was a um, uh, Little Bible study at 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 work, and uh, I guess it's probably about the fourth or fifth time that we we would met, and we were talking about prayers. And I'm like, hey guys, if you need anything to you know pray about anything, let me know about it because I've prayed for five things and they have all happened. I'm five and zero, and <laughs> and just the whole room just kind of cringed a little bit, you know. And uh, yeah, I thought I figured out some magic formula or something, you know. And so, yeah, prayer- you know prayer warrior i it, I think it's a great term. I've known folks who man, are fervent, fervent in prayer, but if anybody ever considers themselves to be a prayer warrior, eh, it's time to to step back and 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 check check yourself, right All righty, so in the end, with all of this, um, you know again, there's no room to boast. Because the idea here is Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So you have this balance of what we think, what we do, and the actions that we we plan to take. But it's uh, up to God. God actually determines how these things come out. All right, so now on to evangelism and apologetics. So what's evangelism? Third row or behind? Anybody? Sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. Okay, good, good. So, evangelism um, is the term. I think I got this from Leganier. Um, not sure. Evangelism is the term we use to refer to the proclaiming of the gospel. It comes from the same Greek word for gospel, uh, euangelion, and means literally "gospeling." Uh, when we evangelize, we are gospeling, not gossiping. Big difference. Um, we are spreading the gospel of. Of Jesus Christ, okay? Throwing seeds out. So what are some passages that charge us with gospeling? Great commission. That's the first one that comes to my mind, too. Jesus came, this, course, this is after the resurrection. It's right at the end of the book of Matthew. And um, it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. By the way, that I am with you always, that's what he told Moses. That's what God told Moses. That's what God told Joshua, think we just talked about a few minutes ago. And that's what God himself, Jesus Christ, is telling his disciples and by proxy, us as well. All right, so I asked this question a little while ago, could God miraculously present the gospel to someone who has never heard of Jesus without any human involvement? And of course he could, but, but does he? If we look at Romans 10, which I forgot to ask you if there's any other passages, this one also came to mind. Uh, Romans 10, 14 through seven, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so this kind of sets up the normative way, or the normal way by which God brings people to faith, and that's through the hearing of the gospel through other human beings, other Christians. Okay? And by the way, are there any other passages that come to mind to charge us with evangelizing? Other than examples. There's plenty of examples, but no, that's fine. All right, any questions so far? Nope, okay. So what is apologetics? What are you sorry for when you practice apologetics? Was that? Leading questions? Yeah. The The defense of the gospel. Okay, good. Um, Really, that's, in a word, it's defense, right? Um, So apologetics... Isn't unique to Christianity. Muslims have Muslim apologetics, and I suppose philosophers might have—I don't know—Stoic apologetics and different kinds of apologetics. Or if uh, you like astroturf as opposed to natural grass, I guess you can be a natural or an astroturf um, apologist. You know, somebody who defends the use of astroturf or whatever they call it—the artificial surfaces. So. So apologetics can really apply. It's a defense of, of something. So Christian apologetics is the process of defending the, the Christian faith. Okay, Simple as that. So how does our theology determine our apologetic approach? I can clarify that a little bit more if you need me to, but what do you think? If you're a hyper-Calvinist, meaning it doesn't really matter what you do because you're a, essentially a fatalist, then it doesn't matter what you do, so it's not real useful, right? How about the other end of the spectrum? If you're yourself
1: with having the responsibility of convincing them to be saved right. in whatever way, whether it be science or logic or
0: however it is. Okay. Who, who, would, who do you think would... Uh, Let me repeat that right. So um, the opposite of the hyper-Calvinist would be uh, the situation where you burden yourself with proving or making someone—I shouldn't say prove, you'll understand why in a minute— persuade someone uh, to have faith in Christ based on the truthfulness or or whatever. But it's up to you to um, persuade them of that, right? So who would be uh, susceptible to something like that? Arminians, exactly. So we'll, again, in January, we'll talk about what kind of what an Arminian is, but um, folks who um, have a diminished view of the sovereignty of God, um, lean more on on freedom of the will, of the human will, um, a lot of times have this um, burden that it, and they don't always talk about the burden itself, but they talk about um, the, the methods and the approach and the arguments that are used in trying to convince someone that God exists, that, um, that Christ resurrected from the dead, that Christianity is true, that sort of thing. And just to kind of put a name with it, if you've ever heard of Norman Geisler, uh, Norman Geisler is cons- you know, considered in general to be a, um, a Christian apologist, Uh, very successful, prominent Christian apologist. But if you look at his methods, he, he really thinks that you can actually prove someone, I'm trying to say, convince someone using logic, reason, evidence, prove someone to where they get to a point where they have to admit that Christianity is true. And they have no choice but to... Uh, more or less come in, f- come to faith in Christ. Were you going to add to that? I'm trying to give you a word. Argue, okay. Argue someone, into, Ar- argue someone into into heaven. Okay. That's a that's a good good expression. Um, and so there's a lot of emphasis on which the things I'm about to mention there's nothing wrong with them unless they're put at too put unless too much emphasis is put on them. But it's things like the various arguments for the existence of God. And maybe you've heard of the, and if you haven't, that's okay, the cosmological argument or the ontological argument or the teleological argument. And all those arguments are are interesting, and I, I like them, I've studied them, They're, they make a lot of sense, but you're not going to bring someone to Christ just by successful argumentation. It's not like you can put a formula together and someone just, just can't resist becoming a Christian, you know. Um, there's other folks, um, John Warwick Montgomery, who you know compiles all of the, um, the the verified facts of of you know the New Testament, whether it's the Gospel accounts or it's Acts or um, you know whatever it may be. He you know he's gone in through ancient history and verified um, that, that all of these things are true. Let me ask you a question. What part of God's word needs verification that it's true? If it needs verification that it's true, two things, one, it ain't God's word. Okay. But, but secondly, it puts the, takes the authority away from God's word itself and it puts it in something else's hands. Whatever standard you use to weigh against God's word, is your true God? It's your true standard. Does it make sense? So if you have to, sorry, I need to stop saying you, because um, I don't mean you. Um, hopefully, I don't mean you. Um, but if someone has to go in, and you know, say I, I'm not going to believe this unless I can verify it, you know, empirically or whatever. Well, all of a sudden, what they're doing? They're making themselves. God. They're making themselves the arbiter of truth. Okay? And that's something we have to be careful of. Now, that said, there's nothing wrong with going in and studying this sort of thing. I have a whole bookshelf full of of books talking about um, all these details and stuff that have been verified, you know, in from the old from I'm sorry, from the New Testament and from the Old Testament as well. And I love it, and it's interesting, but it's not, it doesn't sit in the driver's seat. S.C.S. S. Lewis would say, you don't put God in the dock. And what that means is you don't put God on trial, right? God is not the one that you're, you're trying. It's the other way around, okay? So what are some passages that charge us with engaging in apologetics? Or at least one. There you go. First Peter uh, chapter three, verse 14 and 15. Have no fear of them, that's uh, persecutors. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And um, so it's, it's be prepared to make a defense and notice it says, be prepared to make a make a defense. In other words, don't just not think about it, and then when somebody asks you, you you know, you tell them the first thing that comes to your mind. It's something we need to think about. Something that we need to, if we're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we can't forget about that mind part. And it's one thing that some people overemphasize and other people underemphasize, but we gotta love God with all of our minds, you know, all of our brains. We gotta put work, work into it. Um, sometimes when you're studying the Bible, studying about Christianity, your brain needs to hurt. Um, not always. That's exhausting, right? But but sometimes sometimes it does. Um, and then we also can't forget about that last little phrase. Yet yeah, do it with gentleness and respect, and that's key. We can never talk to somebody and and interact with somebody from a position of superiority or arrogance or or anything like that. It has to be in, in gentleness and, and respect. And then, um, yes, sir? Okay. I was just thinking, this is in contrast to what Jesus told his disciples. Yeah. When they're brought before kings and yeah. uh, authorities that they were not
1: to you know think about ahead of time
0: what they were supposed to say, but let the spirit oh, okay. speak to them. Yeah. This is, I guess, kind of more yeah, and, and that's a great point. Um, and i think when jesus told uh his uh his disciples you know don't don't worry or don't be concerned don't um lose any sleep over what you're going to say you know um i i don't think he was saying don't think it through i think what he was saying is hey the spirit is with you again i'm going to be with you till the end of the age the spirit's going to be with you and you know, you're not going to crater under pressure. I'm going to carry you through this. And again, it's 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 Christ. It's the it's God himself that, that is carrying folks through. But that's a great, great point. Yes, sir?
1: And a couple of points of emphasis. One is that it's make a defense, not make an offense. Okay. And I think that lots of people take apologetics and try to use, like you were talking about with yeah. Eisler, if trying mm-hmm. to use it offensively to get right. someone to believe. Right, and it's that's just not what apologetics is for. Right, it's for defending specifically the other part, which is the hope that is in you. Right, what is the hope that is in you? Well, it's specifically just the gospel, Christ. resurrection by grace through right. faith alone. Good. That's the only thing that, that you're defending with apologetics.
0: Good, good. Um,
1: those those two things, I think,
0: yeah. often get. get I think those are great great observations. I, I do make a little bit wider than that, but um, but those are are, are good points. Um, so let's see. Hold on one second. Sorry about that. i got a dry mouth today for some reason. I think that just tells me I'm talking too much. I need to let y'all do some more talking. All right. So, so why or how is it beneficial for Christians to understand what other religions, philosophies, or denominations believe? Now, I say beneficial. I had to think about that word there because it's not required. I'm not saying it's required. Um, I'm just saying benefit. It's a good thing. Or how is it a good thing for Christians to understand other religions, philosophies, and denominations? What do you think? I think it helps you uh, being able to ask questions, right? And okay. Able
1: to help understand thought process. Yeah. Because you know, more you understand about them, then easier for you to you know, bring, bring about points and engage with
0: them. And okay, great. Conversation. I, I, I can tell right now I like the way you evangelize. Um, and the reason I say that is the first thing that you said was um, ask questions. And I, I, opinion alert, I want to throw that out there, opinion alert. Um, I don't think we ask enough questions when we evangelize, and I don't think we engage enough. Um, I, I think you know, a lot of times there's a formula that, that we have and there's a method that we have and, you know, we try to use that formula or method and I don't think it's an arrogance or anything like that. I, a lot of times I, I really do think it's, I'm guessing, but I think it's uh, essentially you know, lack of confidence or or, or something where we w- we want to rest on a method um, to to present the gospel to somebody. The problem is that different people think in different way and different people come with with different backgrounds and we're going to get into some specifics of that here in a, here in a second um, but the idea is um, yeah it's beneficial to understand where the person is coming from and maybe to understand what the apparent barriers are to 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 Christianity or to to, to coming to faith right um, so good good point anybody else Yes, ma'am.
2: I would say from from a motivational uh, perspective, you know, I should always be motivated to evangelize based on the commands in Scripture. Mm -hmm. But sometimes understanding someone else's religion or worldview, and I recognize just the comparative hopelessness, and that causes me to take compassion on them and renews my desire to share... Mm -hmm gospel for them, because sometimes it can be easy to take for granted, especially like for those of us who've grown up in the church, right. and in Christian communities and families, they very much take for granted um, the the real tangible benefits of of living in a Christian community.
0: Right, good. Good, I, I, absolutely. And um, I, I hope you heard, did everybody hear that? Yeah? Okay, good, because um, I didn't want to repeat it all, but no, and and I'll tell you, kind of, kind of a... Um, an example, exact example of that in my own life was. Um, I'm sorry to keep using examples of my own life, but I know me better than I do anybody else, and so I, I think it kind of makes sense. Um, but I, I had some folks that were witnessing, witnessing to me, tell me, "Oh, read the Gospel of John. It's so beautiful." And I opened it up, and you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and yeah and there's light, and there's John, and there's all this. Is that John the same guy that this other John? I mean, I had no idea what was going on. And, it, and now I look at it, and I go, it is mind-blowingly beautiful. But not to the first-time reader. It's just not. And so what happens is in, in, in church, as you grow up in church, first of all, if you grew up in church, you are blessed. Yeah. um if you didn't grow, grow up the one of the things about growing up not growing up in church though is when you do get the gospel oh my goodness it is like a ton of bricks and it it, it you don't get lulled into it's, it's it's new it's brand new you know it's like a new love sort of thing you know and um so there is a, a cool part uh, there is a blessing as well in, 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 in Coming to Christ when you're um, uh, when you're older. In my case, I was 36, right? And I know what you're thinking, dude. You're only 37. I know, I know. (laughs) No, that was uh, was almost it was 19 years ago, right? So, um, where in the world was I going with that? Um, Oh yeah. So, so the idea is that the folks that were evangelizing to me didn't understand what was going on in my mind. And I remember sitting at Mickey Mantle's Steakhouse in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, of course, Oklahoma, not Oklahoma City, Idaho, right? Uh, Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma, and there was a guy that was about 10 years older than me. He was an engineer, which I'm not an engineer, but I tend to kind of think like an engineer. Um, And uh, he had come to Christ when he was 36 from a, a full stop, just like I had. Or from a standing start, I should say. Just like I did. So we had a lot in common. And so the guy that had been witnessing to me for, for two years was there. And and he had introduced me to the, this other guy named Don. And Don knew exactly what was going through my mind. And we sat there for four hours. And the first, I remember it was the first time I ever had fried pickles. And uh, and for, I don't know why I told you that. It just, it just happened. Um, but it was... I, I, I'm convinced that I left Mickey Mantle Steakhouse a Christian because there were things that I understood that I, be, I, I believed a lot. I wasn't quite there, but when I left that place, I think I understood what was happening, and I do believe I was a Christian at that point. Um, now, that to say, I want to go back to like one of our first slides. Don has nothing to, to boast about. And Robert, the guy who had evangelized to me for, for two years, he has nothing to be ashamed of. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, right? And Don did exactly what he was supposed to do. And one of them watered, or one of them planted, the other one watered, and then, the, and then um, I ended up, you know, and actually I don't even know if Don knows at this point if I'm a Christian or not. Um, but anyway, I, I just, there's, there's some beauty there. And the blessing on Robert is, I'm still friends with Robert, and so you know he he got to see kind of his, can I say spiritual child? Is that okay? Kind of kind of grow. And that sounds kind of creepy, doesn't it? Okay, I didn't, we'll scratch that off of off of YouTube. But anyway, um, it is what it is. We'll move on. So in terms of witnessing is what we've been talking about. But how about how? Why is it beneficial beneficial for Christians to understand what other religions philosophies or denominations believe in terms of our own understanding of the Bible? There aren't that many alternatives. Really. There aren't that many alternatives? Okay. And, and it provides a landscape similarities our faith. Right. Okay, it strengthens, strengthens our faith. Okay, okay, good, good. Uh, yes, sir?
1: I was just going to say, too, understanding those other religions helps us internalize their positions of who Christ is, because if you look at most religions, Jesus is somewhere yeah. in their mix, and so it helps us biblically walk through the fallacies that they may think about right. Christ to be able to articulate good. who is the real Jesus and what is his benefit right. uh, to your salvation.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and that's a great um, that's a great point. And, wow, okay, I'll be right there, Stephen. Uh, go ahead, Megan.
2: Um, there are faiths out there who would say we're the same,
0: you know, like uh-huh.
2: Mormons will come to
0: your door Good. and they
2: will make it sound like you are the same, so yeah. if you don't understand more in depth what <coughs> they believe, um, they could possibly, <laughs> I don't want to say mess up your faith, yeah. but like cause you to be confused. Until you go study your Bible, absolutely. You to be confused about some things and think they are the
0: same. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So when the cults come in, who have this um, divergent, um, defective view of Christ and Christianity, then it helps us to not be um, hoodwinked, mm. you know, and 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 uh, end up mining for uh, fool's gold. Yes, sir. I think
1: specifically on denominations, also uh, seeing across denominations. Where they differ and where they agree, but denominations that you would all confidently say, these are Christians, it helps you uh, determine your own priorities with your theology and helps you to figure out really where the passages that are clear are and where the passages that are murky
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: Or at least our understanding of the mercy.
0: Right, absolutely. I agree, and uh, if I can—you'd normally summarize what what I'm saying. I'm going to summarize what you're saying. I think it helps the Christian church to kind of come together, even if maybe a Presbyterian and a Baptist or something, right? Because it it helps you to understand, like you were saying, legitimate Christian positions that are still Christian— understand where they're coming from, and they're not being being disobedient or or, or difficult or, or anything like that. Because I, I remember uh, I was talking to a, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give that example because that's going to be a can of worms. So let's move on. All right, but, but good points, good points. So why or how is it beneficial to understand what a person believes as we witness to them, right? And I think Chad hit on that. Uh, yes, ma'am? Well, you care. I mean, yep, I think you were yep, fingers. yep.
2: I don't really care where you're right.
0: coming from, but I'm gonna lambast you with right. the truth. Good. <laughs> so Good, that's not the right way to go about that. Good. Yeah, it, it shows that there is legitimate concern and love for the person that we're um, that we're interacting with. So um, is it okay to tweak our presentation, I'm to emphasize presentation, of the gospel based on a person's worldview. To be clear, I'm not saying to tweak the gospel itself. Sure. I think we
2: see Paul, Paul
0: do this. Okay. Well, you know what? I was going to surprise you guys. So how did Paul do it? Give me an example.
1: Look at, through the book of Acts. Okay. See different approaches for different
0: people. Okay, that, that's perfect. So Acts 13, if you open up Acts... Well, don't know, we're not actually going to go there. Um, if you open up Acts 13, God or, uh, Paul is talking to a group of people in a place called Antioch of Pisidia. And what he does is he starts, what does he start? I think he starts with Abraham, but then he works through Moses. He works through the, talks about the prophets. He talks about different th- uh, talked about Egypt, uh, the exile, different things like that. Now, let me tell you, who is his audience? Jews, Jews obviously, yeah. So he goes into a synagogue. He, <laughs> that almost sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Paul walks into a synagogue, uh, <laughs> uh, or a Christian walks into a synagogue, um, So, sorry. Um, Yes. So Paul, Paul uh, goes in. He's talking to a group of Jews, and so he and I'll say he's. I hate using this term because I think it it gets hijacked and corrupted. But he kind of meets them where they are, right? He starts with where they are, and he takes them to who Christ is. Okay. Now you can you can contrast that with Acts seventeen which he begins his gospel, um, the God who created the world and everything in it. Right? Now, do you know who's he talking to there? He's talking to Greeks. He's talking to Greek philosophers. He's talking to pagans. Okay? And some of them are even atheistic. And so when he says that, what he's doing is, notice he said, um, the God who created the world and everything in it. He didn't say, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And the reason he didn't do that is because the Greeks didn't talk like that. The Jews talked like that. The Jews said, heavens and earth. The Greeks said, um, said, the world and everything in it. So he was talking to them in their own categories in a language that they could understand. And it turns out that language is really, really important, okay? Because we can use terms... And like somebody back there um, said um, or earlier, you know, the, the Christian cults hijack a lot of our terms and put inject different meaning, divergent, deficient meaning, into some of these terms. And then, and then it's, it's, we think it's a common vocabulary, but in reality, they're saying something radically different than we are. Okay. Um, So in the biblical example was just what we talked about. Acts 13 and Acts 17. All right. So how might evangelism look different when encountering someone who is spiritual, but not religious versus an atheist? So have you ever heard of the way of the master? Okay, way of the master was Ray Comfort. Um, Ray Comfort is uh, an evangelist. He, uh, Kirk Cameron is the guy, right? Is Kirk Cameron, you know, the, what's the name of the show? Growing Pains. Pains. I was gonna say eight is enough or something, but yeah, Growing Pains. So uh, Kirk Cameron, he's uh, kind of a celebrity Christian and uh, I mean, nothing wrong with that. but, uh, so Ray Comfort and, and Kirk Cameron tend to use the, this method called way of the master. And what they do is when they talk to somebody, when they're evangelizing, somebody to, to somebody, they say, you know, if you died uh, today, you know, would you go to heaven? And the person says, I mean, they always say yes, or almost always say yes. And then they'll say, why, why, why would you go to heaven? And they'll inevitably say, because I'm a good person. And then what they do is they go to the the Ten Commandments and they they start you know asking the person, have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lied? Have you ever done this? And so by the end of the thing, the you know they've can you know they've explained to the person that they're what a lying adulterous thief, you know, just a whole bunch of blasphemer, et cetera, and so forth, right? And so then they they give them the the good news, right? They've laid the bad news on them. And now they give them the good news, okay? Now, something like that may be a legitimate approach to someone who is spiritual but not religious, right? They, you know, and I've got to put that, that term in air quotes, of course. Um, but would you use that same technique, that same method with an atheist? No, why not? They're an atheist. They don't believe in God to begin with, right? They yeah. Say,
2: I don't
0: believe in heaven. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in hell. They, they believe that when they die, they're, that's it. Okay. So it doesn't make sense to, to share it. So you can't. Uh, w- so that's one of the reasons why we shouldn't just go in and with a, a method that we have, that we actually need to kind of uncover what it is that the person believes, you know, their starting point. Now, I have friends. Um, I've known people that I love and I respect, and I don't want them to change a thing because I think they're doing exactly what God wants them to do. And that is, they will share the gospel with the waitress or the waiter at, at, at Chili's, um, or at, you know, Landry's, but, you know, but not Taco Bell. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, so you know, they'll share the gospel with everybody that they come across. If, you, if you're if you with them, they're riding with you, or you're riding with them, and they stop off to get gas, they're going to start pumping their gas, and they got a bunch of tracks, and they're going to pull the tracks out, and they're going to start putting tracks and gas pumps, right? There's people that cast that broad net, and they take it very, very seriously that they're planting seeds. And they believe slash know that God can use something like that and on occasion will use something like that in order to help someone to, to come to Christ or to prompt someone to, to, to come to Christ. I'm not wired that way, okay? Um, I'm generally not going to share the gospel the first time I meet some, somebody. You know, I, I work with a lot of atheists, a lot of engineers and geologists. I work with a lot of confused people um accountants for example um and so when there's a lot of folks who you know with scientific backgrounds and that sort of thing who who don't believe in in Christianity they don't they don't believe in god and so those are radically different conversations than the than the, fo- the, the folks who maybe grew up in church and believe but they just have this kind of this acquaintance with christ as opposed to um, actually believing and trusting and having him as their, uh, their Lord and savior. Um, so, you know, so if I do talk to the atheist or I do talk to somebody that, um, has some understanding of, of, of God, then that's two different conversations. Um, you know, Muslims, you know, the popular thing these days is that we all worship the same God, right? Well, if you, you, if you, All you have to do is ask a Muslim if God has a son, and they will say, absolutely not. Well, if God doesn't have a son, do we worship the same God? No, game over. Did God die? Ask them also, did did God die on a cross? And they'll say no. So obviously, we don't worship the same God. Now, they're cool with us watering ours down you know, our God down, so to speak, to getting rid of the Trinity and saying, yeah, we worship the same God creator of the world. Okay. But they are not cool with understanding the, really understanding what the differentiation is between the one true triune God and the Unitarian false God that they, that they worship. Uh, Hindus. Oh my goodness. Um, I was talking to a a coworker for two years, two years before I could get her to agree with the statement: either Jesus is God and Lord of all, Lord of the universe, or He's not. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't trying to get her to agree that He was. I was just trying to to agree that either He was or He wasn't. Because for two years, she was like, "Yeah, He's Lord of the universe for you, but He's not univ- uh, uh, Lord of the universe for me." And it's like. No, it's just I wanted to shake her, you know. Um, and so after two years, she finally agreed. Yeah, I, I think I see what you're saying. He either is or he isn't for, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what's happened to her. I haven't seen her in 10 years. But um. And then a Mormon, they're really dangerous because um, they worship a created being. Um, lot, lots of it, it. It's essentially a pagan religion, um, but they use a lot of our same terminology. And so when they come to your door, um, I'm not saying they're trying to be um, de- deceptive, but they are being deceptive, whether they understand that or not. And, um, you know, they are, they are evangelizing for a, a, a false god that's a little g-god at best. Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they don't believe Christ is God. We talked about the Arian heresy in here a few weeks ago, or for several weeks, and um, they're the latest and greatest of that. So we've talked about all these different people that it's very likely at some point in time you're going to come into contact with the next six months, year, whatever the case may be. You have to study each one of these religions in depth. Do you, do you love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus if you don't take it upon yourself to study each one of these individually for weeks, months, years? Uh, what's that? Okay. Okay. Good. I I agree. I agree. So, so let me, let me, so let me back up. So there are some folks that are going to, to read these things, to study these religions, and good for those who do. But you know what? It's not a problem if folks don't. The reason I say that is this is the the most important part. The most important thing in terms of knowledge is to know what you believe and why you believe it. And understand it. In other words, understand why Christianity is true. You got to know what the real thing looks like. And that's what we've been studying for the last 28 weeks. And we're like, you know, halfway through, we could keep going on forever. But knowing, Christ- knowing the- understanding your Bible, reading your Bible, understanding it, come to grips with it, Thinking through questions, thinking through what ifs, different things like that. That's the that's the important part. Um, knowing what you believe and why you believe it. And then when you encounter someone from a different religion, it might be a religion that you're not familiar with. Um, and then you, but you begin by asking them questions. And when you begin to ask them questions, you can you know ask you know leading questions so to speak. So for example. If you're talking to somebody, what's, you know, when I'm talking to somebody and if they don't, there's not a label for what it is that they believe, first thing I'll ask them is what they believe about God. Who, who is God, right? And that is a, um, a kind of a big differentiator. If they say, well, I don't believe in God, well, okay, now that's one, I'd say category, but that's one category say, okay, I I believe in God, um, but, you know, she is a, uh, you know, she's a wonderful person. Okay, now we're going down a different path, okay? Um, But then you, okay, so, you know, so, okay, then who is Jesus, you know? As a matter of fact, you can even start with that one. Who is Jesus? And, um, but, you know, tell me about God. Tell me about salvation. Tell me about reality. Tell me about these different things. And as they begin to answer those questions— If you know the truth, you know when things deviate from it. So even if you have no idea what Mormonism is all about, once you begin to um, ask them questions, it'll be revealed. Yes, sir?
1: Yeah, I've used this analogy before, but um, when I worked at the bank, Uh back when I was 20 years old, they never once trained you on counterfeit bills. Yeah. You never saw it, they never showed you one because you yeah. knew that you would see the right bill so yeah. much Yeah. And as soon as the counterfeit showed up, you knew immediately it wasn't the real thing. Right. And I think that's very relevant when it comes to knowing God, knowing God's word is when you study it when you know it, when you see it all the time, mm-hmm. you know immediately when, when something's deviated
0: from it. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So you stick with you know, it I mean that's safe and true right there is to study God's word, study the truth. And then when you, when you encounter falsehood, you you recognize it. Our right. And then remember, you can't reason someone, or as Stephen would say, argue someone into trusting Christ. Okay. Um, our job is to prove Christianity or the truthfulness that is demonstrate the truthfulness of it. Okay. Prove just means demonstrate the truthfulness. And then the spirit is the one who persuades, that is, changes the heart or changes the mind. Okay, So it's a spirit that does that work. And even the demonstration, the proving that we're doing, that's ultimately the work of the spirit as well. Like I said, we're the instrument in his in hands. So, cool, that's it. So we're only two minutes over. Any, any questions? Thoughts? No? Cool. I, I enjoyed that. I thought it was a great conversation. Mark, would you mind closing us?
1: Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together in discussion and study of apologetics and evangelism and of your word. May it come forth from our mouths. May it come forth from our actions. possible to you in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you everybody.